Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. I mean, stop singer! Toss on off the first in time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist Fernando Abad, and the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye baseball. Straight away center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven scoreless innings. Now here's your host Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here once again. I hope you enjoyed your weekend. Mariners dropping two of three to the Toronto Blue Jays over the weekend. And what was, well, especially the first two games, some pretty high-level, very entertaining baseball. But in the end, Toronto takes two of three. So off to Minnesota tonight for a road trip. We'll talk about that in just a second. We're going to review some of the, the games over the weekend. We're going to hear from Buck Martinez, which is a very entertaining conversation. It's one of my favorite things we do is connect with some of the voices around the game. Sometimes I don't always play them all, uh, especially during a weekend series, because you know after you're you're done with the weekend and whatever team it is, it, it all you know doesn't. It's not all as relevant as it was during the course of the weekend, but I am going to play Buck Martinez for a couple of reasons. One, it's highly entertaining, and he tells a pretty incredible story from his playing days in the kingdom. It's it's really amazing. Also, I think it's instructive to hear how he describes the Seattle Mariners as a team this year, and it's something I don't think we've heard a description about the Mariners in this regard in a long, long time. So I think it's pretty interesting to hear, and... I mean, he's been around the game forever as a manager, uh, as a broadcaster, as a player, and he's got some great stories to tell. So I think it's really worth it. So we'll hear from him coming up in a few minutes. We'll also hear from Jerry Depoto, get updates on the guys coming back. Of course, Mitch Hanniger is back. Felix threw another game with the Rainiers over the weekend, so he's getting closer. The news on Iwakuma sounds excellent as well, as he's not that far behind, but we'll hear from Jerry Depoto in a couple of minutes as well. So, Mariners-Blue Jays, first game of the series on Friday night, and this one was spectacular. This was just a really good ball game. It's one the Mariners trailed 2-1 to one late in the seventh inning. But the Mariners come from behind. They get some clutch hitting in the seventh. They come through, and they take the lead. 2-1. 
Swing and a crack in a left center field for a base hit. Seager scores. Here comes Valencia. He runs through a stop sign. Throw home. Tag. He's out. The Mariners have taken a 3-2 lead on Dyson's base hit to left center. Seager has scored, but Valencia gets a traffic ticket. Two outs, 3-2 Mariners. Cloyd out of the bullpen. He grabs his first win as a Mariner in his first game as a Mariner. Bergman pitched well as the starter for the Ams. And what has happened through the course of I guess the last 20 games, the bullpen was magnificent. Diaz was just electric. The 0-2 pitch, swing and a miss and a fastball at 101, strike three, and the ball game is over. The Mariners win it 4-2 over the Toronto Blue Jays. Edwin Diaz, his nickname is Sugar, and how sweet it is. Diaz with save number 10 on the season. So a 4-2 win in game one of the series. They improved to 31-31 and 31 on the season at that point. Two runs in the seventh, one run in the eighth, and the Mariners take game one of the series. Game two, we expected a great pitching matchup. That's exactly what we got. Stroman, the ace of the Blue Jays staff. Miranda, who has pitched so well. And they both pitched well in this one. Similar situation, it was a 2-1 to ball game going into the 7th, and the Mariners get a run in the 7th thanks to Dyson, who did it alone. Here's the 1-0. Dyson goes. It's inside. Throw through to second base on a hop. Not nearly in time. Ball into center field. Dyson is going to scoot into third. It's past Pilar. He's being waved in. Here comes Dyson around third. Screaming home. No throw home. Dyson stomps on home plate, and he has done it all by himself. He has come around to score. Stole second base, flying into third after the ball scoots into center and got by Pilar. And then Dyson, like a blur, all the way home, and we are tied. It is two to two. But in this case, the bullpen couldn't hold it. Toronto, they bash three home runs, three long home runs. They only had four hits in the ball game, but three of them long balls. And that was enough to get a 4-2 win over the M's in game two. So the Mariners going into Sunday looking for a series win, and I think they felt pretty good about the matchup. James Paxton on the hill for the Mariners on Sunday. Taking the ball for Toronto, Jay Happ, who had struggled. He's struggled with injury. He's been on the DL for a while, and when he's been healthy, he hasn't been as effective as he has the last couple of years. But Mariners with lots of opportunities early in the ballgame. The Blue Jays jumped on Paxton early in this one, two in the first, two in the fourth, and they were able to hold the lead. Mariners get nine hits uh, over the course of the ball game, but they just cannot cash in, including the ninth inning, putting a couple of runners on. The bullpen gives them five scoreless again, but uh, not enough. They keep the Blue Jays at bay, but the Mariners a zero on the board, and Toronto... Wins the game and the series four to nothing. Mariners done with the Blue Jays for the season. Toronto thirty-one and thirty-two. Mariners thirty-one and thirty-three. Now on the season, here's what the skipper said after the ball game. You know they uh, they outpitched us today. Uh, basically, you know uh, they they really grinded through some at bats uh, against uh, Paxton today and got the pitch count up. Pax wasn't quite as sharp uh, as we've seen him be this year. Uh, and then you know. Uh, Donaldson's home run got on going early. We had a lot of chances in the first four innings. Couldn't quite get that big hit uh, to get us on the board. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the Blue Jays have pitched us, uh, our offensive players, as tough as anybody all year. And uh, we just 
haven't really been able to get a whole lot going against them, you know, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, you get much going offense, it's, it's tough. Uh, but Amelia Pagan did a great job uh, kind of saving our bullpen and, and doing what he does out there. So, you know, it kept us in the game. But, uh, you know, without, you know, getting that big hit, you know, I think we were 0 for 10 runners in scoring position today. It's not going to win a whole lot of games when, when that happens. So, uh, again, I got our guys competed well. Um, you know, we had a, got off this homestand, got off to a great start. Certainly offensively, uh, unfortunately, it cooled down here the last couple of days. But you know, we'll get it back going on the road again. Um, it's nice to get Hanniger back in there. But you know, um, good guys to you know, gotta get hits with runners in scoring position. Guys are trying hard. Uh, we just didn't just can get it done today. What did you see from Paxton today? Uh, I thought the, the the command, um, you know, the fastball wasn't quite on the edges like it has been. Uh, I got behind the count, the Donaldson. Donaldson, I was on him all day. Uh, really, the fastball, uh, the breaking ball, you know, he was geared up for it. And, you know, Pax off to a good start. Everybody in the league knows who he is. Uh, they get geared up for him, and, you know, he just wasn't on top of his game today. He seemed to be all over the place with the velocity and the fastball. Is that just trying to? Oh, I don't know if the velocity is much issue. You know, you're throwing 94, 96. It's it's more of where you're at on the plate and, and getting, you know, getting ahead in counts. Uh, we saw him behind in the count a little bit today, and then, you know, he tried to go to his cutter there through the, uh, you know, the second, third inning. That helped for a little bit, but uh, just couldn't get him enough, uh, you know, off the fastball. But again, you got to get ahead in the count. You know, we've seen it, but you know, give them credit. They grinded at bats. They did it to Miranda last night. Uh, you know, it's it's a tough lineup to work through with power. You know, they hit the ball out of the ballpark. You mentioned the outfield rotation pregame. How tough is it going to be to take uh, Gamble's bat out of the lineup the way he's been swinging it? Uh, it won't be tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben Gamble's off, having a great year for us, no doubt. And he's hung in there really good against left-handed pitching as well. So, you know, he'll continue to play. Um, it's better to have too many good players than not enough. So we'll find time for all those guys. Does Toronto do anything different with your hitters? Uh, I don't know if anything different. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, we swung the bat better against them last year than we did this year. Um, saw a lot of the same pitchers. Um, you know, uh, Hap probably the better, best ball game Hap's thrown all year today. You know, he basically stayed away from our right-handed hitters, and you know, he didn't do a go- good job of adjusting it. But he's got life on the fastball. He's a flyball pitcher, and and struck some of us out today. Uh, you know, later in count, so I felt like we had him on edge. You know, the first three, four innings, we just couldn't kind of push him over the edge. And, uh, you know, if we'd got a run or two across there early, it may have made a difference. Was Pagan a bright spot today? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, Pagan's thrown the ball really good the last couple times he's been out there for us. But, uh, you know, to get four innings out of him is great. Uh, it helps save us some guys um, going into the next series. Uh, that's really important. He did his job and, and then some today. Kind of a milestone is the three rookie outfielders uh, for this club in terms of the future. I think it sets us up well going forward. Um, certainly like what they all bring to the table. I like how they play. You know, they, they play aggressive. They're not, you know, they're not afraid of anything. And there are going to be some times where they take their lumps. I think uh, Heredia is struggling a little bit right now to kind of get his timing back. But that's the way the season goes. But I, I like all the guys out there. I think they, they all do it a little bit differently. Uh, but they do bring one thing to the table is they play hard and they're very athletic. Um, so, our, you know, you see the upgrade we've had, you know, defensively in our outfield all year. Realize you're just getting off the field here, but Felix appeared to be really sharp down in Tacoma. I have not gotten a report. That's the first I've heard of it, which is great news. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, <laughs> is there we'll, any way you guys would reconsider that that third? I, I I'll now. talk to it. No, it's it's more about you know the long haul here. Like we talked with Felix earlier, I want him to be built up. 
I think we've we found guys, uh, you know, that can go out and give us very competitive five innings. We're looking somebody to get a little bit sixth, seventh inning. So let's build him up. Let's put him in the right spot so, um, so we can get him going and then have him the remainder of the season. So now it's off to Minnesota for four. 5-10 first pitch tonight. Gallardo will take the ball against Mejia in game one of the series. It's a four-gamer on Tuesday. Same thing. It's going to be a 5-10 first pitch from Minnesota. Bergman against Gibson. Gibson pitched really well against the Mariners last time. Minnesota comes into this series 32-27. and Again, uh, Mariners 31-33 and on the campaign. Similar start uh, on Wednesday. 5-10 first pitch. Gavilio against Santana, who has been lights out. 2-2-0 ERA, and he was great his last time out. Then day baseball on Thursday. 10-10 first pitch. No podcast coming Thursday. Miranda against Barrios, uh, who has been outstanding. 5-1 with a 2-8-4. Electric stuff. The Mariners missed him the first time. But he has really pitched well for Minnesota. Then off to Texas for a weekend series and back home for a long homestand. So there you go. You're all set for what is coming up against the Minnesota Twins. Right now, let's uh, hear from the GM of the Mariners, Jerry DePoto. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Mike Flowers. We will be joined in less than 30 seconds by General Manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry just came in the booth. We are a little bit early. This is not Jerry's fault at all. We just went. You're lucky. We just went cruising. You're lucky that I was just getting ready to put you on the spot, and he saved you. So well, be we, nice we, to Jerry. We knew that was going to happen. Well, Jerry Depoto is uh, with us, and uh, Jerry, good to have you. How are things? That things are excellent. It's a little <laughs> late. <laughs> we are early. You are not late. Hey, good news. Mitch Hanniger is back. This is fantastic for the ball club. Uh, it's great news. I particularly happy when I woke up this morning that we we're going to see Mitch in the lineup and and even last night when he came out of the game a couple of hits he drew a walk think things are going well during his rehab and uh, I think he feels good about where he is which makes us feel better about where we're at. Jerry before we get to I saw Iwakuma on the field today and Felix with his rehab but before we get to that when you're talking about an oblique for me, it's a difficult thing to gauge, and you want to be careful with it. And and I know these guys all want to compete, and Mitch wants to be in the lineup. How do, how do you balance all that between the trainer and the player and yourself and making sure that when you get him back, he stays healthy? You know, I think a lot of it is trusting the player and, mm-hmm. and, and asking the player how he feels, uh, understanding every day that the oblique is maybe of all the baseball injuries that we've come to understand in the last 20 years. Right. It's the toughest to define and you know in this case we learned early uh, with Mitch you know that you had the issue on his right side he wound up flaring up an oblique on his left overcompensating for the original injury so uh, it, it took a little bit longer than expected but you know we sent him out for his rehab he wasn't feeling any issue over the course of the last three or four days and encouraged us to just give him a rip Awesome. And so quickly, Felix and Iwakuma, where, where are we at with those guys? Uh, Felix will pitch today in Tacoma. Okay. Uh, he's up to 65 pitches. Uh, we hope he gets there. It, obviously, the first go wasn't a great one, and we're going to have to see what he does when he goes out there today. We have extended his rehab to include a third outing just to try to extend those innings and, and make sure that when he returns, he's in a position to give us that five, six, seven-inning stretch that, that we know he can deliver. And Kuma, we're going to assess where he is coming out of today's uh, session and right now if things hold he will start for us in Modesto on Wednesday with the hope that we can get him up to to five innings and and reach his pitch count if that goes well then he will join us in Texas and again if all goes well hopefully he starts for us there against the Rangers what what were were you at Velo wise when you were pitching uh you 
93-94 okay, would be about the norm. I was thinking about you the other day, and, and I was wondering if it, if it brings you some extra satisfaction and joy with Bergman and Gavilio, two kids that are out there 88 to 90 miles an hour, um, and pitching great. And they've been huge for this club. And if you can sit back, because everybody talks about 95-plus, and we see it every day, and that's kind of where the game's gone. But do you get any satisfaction in watching guys like that go about their business in the way that they work? Because I do. I, I have a personal affinity for pitchers like that, uh-huh. uh, largely because I threw a little bit harder and I had no clue what I was doing. I, I was just firing <laughs> it up there. But, uh, you know, in, in, in watching Sam and, and Christian, they, they've really saved our butts. They yeah. have through yeah. the course of a, a tumultuous time. They go out there. They're confident in who they are. They throw strikes. They're not going to overpower. There is no magical out pitch. They, they force the hitter to make contact. They use the defense behind them. They both command their pitch very well and I think in general I would describe both as being deceptive they're they're not easy to square up despite the fact that if you were watching them throw alongside guys like James Paxton and Edward Diaz on a bullpen mound in the spring you'd look the other way you wouldn't even think twice about it but when a batter gets in the box they have the ability to control bat speed which I think is a huge thing in this league maybe more than anything else that a pitcher does in the big leagues is control bat speed and you know if you can make sure that that a hitter is off balance he's just off timing that just a, a tiny bit you can get outs and we're seeing it with with Sam and Christian right now Jerry DePoto is our guest here on Mariners Sunday Magazine Jerry Everyone loves Mike Zanino. The person that is Mike Zanino is beloved by broadcasters, media members, fans, managers, you name it, teammates. It's been so fantastic to see this recent stretch from Mike. And to be fair to Mike, he has had a stretch like this before in his career. What is it that you've seen from Mike over the last, call it 50 at-bats, that lets you know that what we're seeing now from Mike is real and it's here to hopefully stay? Uh, Count me as one of those who loves Mike Zanino for a lot of the reasons you said. But what I'm seeing that's different this time... First, I will say that, and I've I've stood on this since the the day I got here, that that Mike's approach, you know, the idea of going out there and putting together an at-bat, understanding where the strike zone is, identifying pitches early, earlier, I think he did a lot of that heavy lifting last year. His, His approach throughout this year was better than it has been in years past. What we're seeing different from him right now is just a, a resituated or restructured batting stance. He's standing taller. His feet are, are, are a little more narrow. He's not as long in the batter's box. And as a general rule, Mike, out, Mike has tremendous strength. He has great bat speed. And he, when you're as long as he is, he's, he was effectively what we'd refer to as a crash hitter he's just crashing into the ball and you know right now as as he's standing up he's more athletic in the box and I think that what you see and it manifested itself no more so than the the walk-off homer the other night but consistent hard contact to the other side of the field to the opposite side of the field we haven't seen that at least since I've been here and you know Mike particularly when he gets into that deeper counts when he's 2-2 and 3-2 we're seeing him hit the ball hard the other way and we're, we're seeing more more contact more barrel contact and he's maintained that same solid pitch recognition that he came to the season with and now we're just seeing more contact in the strike zone using the other side of the field creating more leverage with his body in the batter's box how difficult and it's worked out terrific for you guys and it, it turns out to be a really good decision except for on a given night and I talked to Scott about this the other day and I talked to you about it when we were in Washington I believe but basically the back end of your bullpen. And these guys have been unbelievable because you guys had to make a commitment that you weren't going to throw them all the time. 
And at times it's difficult, and at times the games will get away from you. But how hard has that been? And maybe how hard has that been for Scott when you're sitting there and you're down a couple of runs, so there's still a chance you can come back and win that game, but you just cannot throw those guys out there. You just can't do it every night. And I think what we're seeing here, particularly in the month of June, is the reward for giving these guys a little bit of a breather. Uh, Edwin has been terrific. Nick Vincent, Mark Zepchinski. You know, prior to last night when we made a couple of bad pitches and gave up homers, the whole bullpen has been resurgent. I think because we gave them a chance to – take their foot off their tongue <laughs> you know i mean they were, they were a little tired <laughs> right. there we were we were wearing them out and and i think scott has actually found it to be a challenge every day in a good way right uh, to the point where he's developed more of a likelihood we saw it two nights ago going to tyler cloyd in a game where we were down a run that's a that's not commonly something that he felt comfortable doing was going to the guy he knew the least about in the bullpen in a game that i would qualify as still a leverage situation and he was rewarded for his trust in the in the players and you know we still have the ability to shut down a game and tonight is a great example in a series we're one one in this series and today every single one of our relievers should be live no one should be down and we can go out and we can match up when need be in that game when we're up a run after you guys go out and you win this ball game today you'll be at 500 98 games to go Um, one of the things talking about the bullpen that scott talked about is that he wants those guys ready to go in august and be available too so as you move forward, what are these guys going to health aside? What are these guys going to have to do well for you guys to be in the hunt of this thing in August and September? You know, for the bullpen or the team in general? The team. Just the team. And what would you like to see, whether it's improvement or they maintain something? What, to you, what's the most important thing outside of health? Uh, I think just to, to outside of health, I mean, the obvious is if we can get Gene Segura back at the top of our lineup with Mitch Haneker back today, I think that's huge. The offense, I couldn't be happier with where they are. It's good at bats up and down. Situational hitting has been excellent. The bullpen has been tried and true over the course of the last three weeks. They've been excellent. If that starting pitcher can continually get us 15 to 18 outs a night and situate us to win we're going to need one pitcher at least one guy to start knocking down six and seven innings a night where we can get closer to the 21st out than the 16th out uh, that we've consistently gotten into the sixth inning we got to start taking it easy on that leverage inning in the sixth because when you have to and we've seen it a lot this homestand when you have to run James Pazos out there in the sixth inning it's very different than having the the privilege of running them out there in the seventh right and that's how we're going to make this game shorter uh if not you know one thing we we're open to is as we get into the middle of the summer is can we add that one more reliever to the bullpen and so it might already be here for us it could be a resurgent dan altavilla it could be a resurgent steve ciszek now these guys these guys will start to click as the summer goes but that that is going to be the bridge for us to determine how good we can be in this playoff race as we get into august and september is what what happens to our sixth inning, either from our starters or from our bullpen. That bridge is going to have to be crossed because we can't continue to throw 15, 16 outs from our starters and expect the bullpen to bring it home every night. That's really interesting stuff. Jerry DePoto is our guest for the final few minutes here on Mariners Sunday Magazine. And, Jerry, Mike and I were talking the other day. We looked at each other and we said, I don't think we've given enough love to Ben Gamble this year for what he has done. Uh, it hasn't been quiet at all. It's been very obvious his contributions offensively, defensively too. And I think back to last year, late last season, you give up a couple of pups to get Ben Gamble, a guy who was pretty established to say the least in AAA but was looking to crack through in the big leagues. The Ben Gamble that we've seen so far, is this the guy that you envisioned or is it different? And if so, how? Uh, this is the guy that we envisioned, uh, but I would say that it's rather shocking that he did it 
in a, in a snap. There's uh, Ben Gamble. This is Ben Gamble. You're seeing what he has been throughout the course of his minor league career. This is Ben Gamble, AAA MVP. Uh, he can hit. He can use the field to hit. He's athletic. He can play all the positions. The one thing we haven't seen, I think Ben's an excellent situational hitter, and he can run the bases. The one thing we haven't seen him do is is use his, his athleticism and his speed as a base stealer. We're starting to experiment with the idea of putting him at first base and giving him a day or two over there uh, just to keep him in the lineup and moving. Uh, like we talked about with Christian Bergman and Sam Gavilio, Ben Gamble did a tremendous job of getting us through turbulent water. And what he did was he bought himself opportunity. And he's going to play regularly, and we're going to have to find a way to manage our chess pieces on the board to make sure that Ben's in there to affect the outcomes of games. He hits. He holds his own against lefties. He's been nails versus the right-handers. He's on base all the time. And Ben brings an energy to our club. And there, there aren't very many guys over the course of 162 that can lift the other guys uh, because of the energy they bring. I think on a, at a given moment, Ben can be that guy. Gerard Dyson can be that guy. Guillermo Heredia can be that guy. The energy lift that they can give this team. So we need to find a way to make sure that in our rotation, all of those guys are affecting the game because Ben Gamble, he deserves to play every day. He's shown that. Final question, final two questions. One is a nerd question. The other is a get-to-know-you-better question. I, I want to know your most recent in-depth baseball reference index search. And I also want to know, I know you're a big collector, Jerry. I want, I want to know your favorite piece of baseball memorabilia that's at your house. Wow, wow. Uh, my most recent, uh, just now, I actually just walked upstairs from the, from the draft room where I've been I've spent <laughs> most of the last three weeks in the bunker. Uh, I need some vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> my most recent search was seven, Kevin Sechrist of the, yes. the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, largely because we were just talking about a pocket of left-hand relievers in the draft, one of whom had a uh, pretty significant fastball velocity and a, and a slider that, as I'm listening to it, it reminded me of Kevin Seacrest. So I, I went on a deep dive and led me to fan graphs, led me to our own analytics information. And, and those are fun when you start digging in through the mornings. But I, I probably spend more – Tommy Allison, our, yeah. uh, our VP of player personnel, actually uses uh, – he calls baseball reference Jerry's mind. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, I spent a fair amount of time on there. And – uh, my favorite piece of memorabilia, something I've collected through the years, uh, years and years ago, I, for my 30th birthday, which unfortunately now is is a long time ago, my wife got me a a T- Tom Seaver game used jersey uh, wow. that the provenance is unquestionable from 1975. He was my favorite player growing up. Uh, I got his 1975 New York Mets road jersey with the Joan Payson uh, Memorial band on the the sleeve. It happened to be the last Cy Young Award season in his career. It hangs prominently in my home office, and and I and I was fortunate enough. My son is his middle name is Seaver, so uh, we are partial to Seaver in our house. <laughs> I, I, as I said, growing as growing up in where I did in New Jersey, it, you know the, the good boy. You walked into a room, there was a crucifix to your right, and picture of Tom Seaver to your left. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had we had uh, a Tom Seaver game jersey. It hangs over my desk at home, and and uh, great message from Tom written on the jersey. During my years playing for the Mets, I had a chance to befriend him, and and he was great to me. As a matter of fact, when I when I came to Seattle, uh, Tom's daughter lives up this way, and, and oh, really? she was one of the first to to call and welcome me to Seattle. So I, he's uh, he he was my baseball hero growing up, and and uh, was that was my thirtieth birthday present, and something I. 
I, I know I'll have till the day I die, and then my guess is it'll be hanging over my son's desk somewhere. So you were given the jersey, and then you approached Tom with the jersey to get it signed? Correct. Okay. Correct. That's pretty cool. That's fantastic. That's great. Jerry, we, we could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for the time. We know you're very busy with the draft, so carving out a few minutes uh, means a lot to us. Thank oh, you. Oh, anytime. Love doing it. Now it's time for Buck Martinez. As we get to welcome in, very special guest, Buck Martinez, the voice of the Blue Jays on TV, longtime Major League player, uh, manager. You've done it all in the game. Thanks for coming by. I certainly appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to come here to Seattle, absolutely one of my favorite cities. Uh, of course, I grew up in Northern California, so this is kind of like home for me when we come back to the Northwest. But it's a special place for sure. And from what I understand, this is a very, even more of a special visit this year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it really worked out. My wife has a film in the uh, Seattle International Film Festival. So she's uh, an actress in a movie called The Landing. It played at the SIF Uptown Theater on uh, last night and tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow afternoon at 3.30. So, yeah, we're pretty pleased about that. That's outstanding. Well, it's great to have you here, the Blue Jays in town. This has been a fun series already. Give us a, a thumbnail on what the Blue Jays and Mariners are similar in a lot of ways. They've dealt with a lot of injuries, a slow start, but both teams playing well. What have you seen from the the Blue Jays this year? Well, you're right. Uh, you know, at one point they had three of their starters on the disabled list. Aaron Sanchez is still on the disabled list, and he won the ERA title last year. So it's very difficult to play without your regular players. And I know you don't have uh, Iwakuma and you don't have Hernandez, so that's very difficult to overcome as well. But they are very similar. But I, I think the difference between the Mariners ball club and the Blue Jays ball club is your team's a little bit younger and they're a little more athletic. So you can you can manufacture runs and you can score runs without hitting the home runs. The Blue Jays really lean heavily on the home run. And if they don't hit home runs, they have a hard time scoring runs. Buck, uh, Marcus Stroman gets the ball tonight for the Blue Jays and the miraculous story of the ACL injury in spring training and then coming back much, much sooner than uh, even the experts like Dr. James Andrews expected. What does he mean to this Blue Jays team, not only when he pitches every five days, but he seems to have a spirit about himself that not everybody has. He certainly has a spirit, and, and I think it's good. Uh, you know, when, when we were coming up in the major leagues, uh, they didn't want you to show any emotions. And I think you can see by the fans and their reaction. Now, people like emotions. People want to see animated players. And, you know, they like the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts and those guys that have a lot of emotion. And Stroman certainly has that. You know, they say he's 5'8". He's probably 5'7". And uh, he really pitches well. Uh, he spins the ball very well. He's always had the ability to make pitches with his breaking ball. And he's a very good athlete. He played second base at Duke in his freshman year. He actually hit a double pinch hitting against the Cardinals this year and hit an opposite field home run against the Braves. So he's a heck of an athlete. Uh, he'll, he'll field his position very well. He's started four double plays himself this year. Gets a lot of ground balls, and uh, he's a competitor. He's got six wins this season. Four of them have come after a Blue Jays loss, and so he's been their stopper so far. Boy, one of the storylines, Encarnacion, of course, signed with Cleveland in the offseason, and that looked like a big hole to fill, but you look at Justin Smoke this year, longtime Mariner, obviously, having an all-star type season. What has been the difference for Justin Smoke? You know, they signed Smokey last year in July to a two-year extension, and everybody kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, man, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. We've got to sign Edwin and Jose. And they were both going to be free agents at the end of the season. But I think they made a great move, the front office did, by signing Smoke because he's such a steady guy. He's going to play first base. You guys have seen him play first base. He can really play first. He's a switch hitter. And I think everybody has always felt like this kind of season was in there. Mm. 
it was something, you know, a number one pick of the Rangers. He comes here in the Cliff Lee trade, high expectations. And I have a feeling about baseball players. I think there's always a right spot mm-hmm. for everybody. You know, Jose Bautista was a late bloomer. Josh Donaldson was a late bloomer. Marco Estrada was a late bloomer. And now it looks like Justin Smoke's going to be that same type of player. But what Smoke has done this year, and if you look at his numbers, they're really remarkable because with two strikes in the past, he was a 145 hitter. This year, he's hitting 223 with two strikes. So he's not chasing those balls in the dirt, and you've seen him chase balls in the dirt forever. Mm -hmm. He gets the two strikes. He's going to swing at the next pitch no matter where it is. He's a different hitter this year. He's slowed things down. I believe he's looking for breaking balls and hitting fastballs, which is a difficult thing to do. But because he's always been so quick with his hands, it has allowed him to slow down, wait for the breaking ball, and if it's a fastball, he can get to it. He hit two balls out of the ballpark the opposite field in Oakland on this trip, hitting left-handed. And uh, I think that just goes to prove that he understands now that he can wait on balls, get good pitches to hit, and hit them out anywhere in the ballpark, whether he's hitting right-handed or left-handed. Buck Martinez is our guest, the TV voice of the Blue Jays. And when you mentioned the, a list of late bloomers, I couldn't help but think of Nelson Cruz as well. I mean, you think about Nelly. Now, he didn't start playing baseball, really, until he was signed uh, out of the Dominican Republic. I mean, he was in his teens before he really started playing competitively. But, Buck, you've been in this game your whole life, essentially. How do you know when you're watching a player each and every day, how can you tell this guy still has untapped potential or, you know what, we've seen all we're going to see, and this guy, this is who he is? How can you tell? Well, I think you have to just look at what you see on a daily basis. And you see Nelson, he's got power, first of all. And you can't find power in a lot of places. So you stay with him. You give him a chance to play. And you look at his background. He came up with the Mets. Then he went to the Brewers. And he kind of bounced around all over the place. And then really kind of blossomed in Baltimore. And Baltimore has a way of bringing out the best of power hitters (laughs) because we've had home run champs there for the last four years, I believe. But Nelly is a guy that's very patient. Uh, he has absolutely killed the Blue Jays. You look at some of his great seasons and his great games. I believe he has two eight RBI games against the Blue Jays. One is a Texas Ranger, and I think one is an Oriole. But he has absolutely killed the Blue Jays over the years. He's got 22 career home runs against the Blue Jays in like 80 games. He's just worn them out. But I think you have to look at the physicality. You know, you see a guy like Aaron Judge. And you see him, and everybody's going, well, he's too big to be a baseball player. But you see the physical skills, and you say, we've got to be patient with this guy. And we've got to allow that skill to come to the surface. And it took Bautista a long time to do it. Donaldson was a catcher. And they had him miscast, and it had it not been for an injury of the third baseman in Oakland, he'd probably still be struggling as a catcher. But you've got to let these guys. And, and when Bautista came to Toronto, Cito Gaston and Gene Tennis were there, and and Dwayne Murphy was a hitting coach, and they said, you know, you're just late. You're not getting ready on time. You're just late. And that little piece of information hit him the right way, and all of a sudden he becomes a two-time home run champ and hit uh, obviously hit his 50th against Felix Hernandez in Toronto in that 1-0 game. Speaking of late bloomers, I want to talk about Edgar Martinez for a moment. He didn't really get a chance to play every day until he was in his uh, upper 20s, and this offseason got closer to being elected to the Hall of Fame. What are your memories of Edgar Martinez as a player? It's funny. We were just talking about this in the booth next door. We're talking about left-handed pitchers pitching to right-handed hitters. The Blue Jays don't hit very well against lefty pitching, and we're going to see that firsthand in the next two nights here, or tonight and tomorrow. But when I was managing the Blue Jays, I had Dan Plesak down in the bullpen, and I always told 
Plesak, I said, one of these days I'm going to bring you in to pitch to Edgar Martinez because I think pitching him inside would create problems for him. But I was never man enough to do it. (laughs) 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 But Edgar is such a great hitter. And, and, you know, he's a consummate hitter. When you think about hitting in this ballpark, when it was a bigger ballpark, obviously, he would hit balls out there in that alley in right center and just wear you out. And, you know, we talk about the Hall of Fame. And I know he's got 309 career home runs. He's got 2,200 hits. And, you know, during his era, he's probably one of the best DHs we've ever seen. But he's probably not a Hall of Famer. And I am of the mind that if Edgar and David Ortiz and Harold Baines and Donnie Baylor and those guys didn't have the DH, they would have played a position because they're good hitters. You know, Edgar would have played third. He would have eventually played first. David would have played first. And and Baylor would have played in the outfield, and they would have played. And we wouldn't think anything of it. But, you know, I, I think he gets penalized because he was a DH, but obviously he's one of the best hitters that I saw during my playing days and later on as a manager. Buck, you played in the Kingdom during your lengthy playing career. You suffered a gruesome injury at home plate uh, defensively, and yet you managed to make a remarkable play despite having to be carried off the field. Many listening don't know what we're talking about. Can you <laughs> tell us exactly what happened? Well, it, it was in 1985, and we were on a West Coast trip, and uh, we were in first place at the time. Bobby Cox was our manager, and we weren't scoring many runs. And I wasn't a very good hitter to begin with, but I think at that time I was hitting about 160. So anything I could do defensively was going to help out the team. And we had a great outfielder named Jesse Barfield who had a cannon for an arm. And uh, the inning before, about the fifth inning, maybe the fourth inning, Jim Presley was at third base, and... Uh, Somebody had a fly ball to right, and it was a scoreless game. And Barfield threw a one-hop throw to home plate that was on the first base side of home plate, and I grabbed it and dove back over home plate and tagged out Presley for a double play. We all ran back to the dugout, and everybody was high-fiving Jesse, and I said, hey, Jesse, next time throw it on the other side of the plate so I don't have to dive across the plate. Well, wouldn't you know it, the very next inning, Phil Bradley's at second, Gorman Thomas hits a base hit to right, Jesse comes up throwing, on the third base side this time, and I blocked the plate. Phil hit me in my shoulder. I dislocated my ankle, broke my leg. Larry Young was the umpire, and I held up the ball. He said, show me the ball, show me the ball. I held up the ball. When I held up the ball, I saw Gorman Thomas running from second to third. So I lobbed it down there from the seat of my pants, and it rolled all the way down into the bullpen at the kingdom in left field. And now I see Gorman coming around third, so I'm scooting on top of home plate, scooting around to get in position to take the throw. Now, the pitcher was Tom Fider, and he was standing right over me at the first play. This is why catchers call the signs. Tom Fider left me in a pile at home plate and went back to back up the play by the backstop. (laughs) (laughs) So now I turn around. Gorman's about the home plate. George Bell throws the best throw of his life. It one hops into my glove, and I tag out Gorman. From the seat of your pants? From the seat of my pants. It's the only time it's ever happened, a 9-2-7-2 double play. 9-2-7-2. And then you're, and you have to add, then you're carted off the carted field. Carted off the field. Yep. Ended up in the hospital down the street. Oh, that's incredible. And George Bell hit a grand slam in the 14th to win the game. Yeah. So when. Uh, See, I couldn't uh, play nowadays. 
Because I can't block the plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, when, and this is no slight to Aaron Sanchez, but when Aaron Sanchez is on the disabled list because of a, a torn fingernail, <laughs> you, you must uh, be a, a little frustrated maybe. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, it was a, a remarkable play. We've seen the video of it, and maybe some listening even saw it live. But that uh, was incredible. But, uh, Buck, this has been awesome. It is so nice of you to come by. Nah, and, it's a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Really, really enjoy it. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to see uh, this beautiful city and this great ballpark. And uh, I wish we had one of these in Toronto for sure. Mm. Well, that's Thanks, great to have you. Thank you so My much. Pleasure. And as our Monday tradition dictates, time for the week that was. This is the week that was. A look back on highlights and events of the Mariners' past week on Mariners Magazine. One, two from Miranda. Strike three call, a delayed call by Barksdale, stunning Steven Souza Jr. That's strikeout number six for Miranda. He goes one, two, three in the third. Do you even know the Miranda rights? You have the right to remain silent. 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 The 2 1 pitch, swing and a line drive into right center over his dice, and he's there. Ball game is over. The Mariners win it 7 1 over the Tampa Bay Rays as Ariel Miranda goes all the way and gives the Mariners their first complete game from a starter this season. The pitch. Swinging a ground ball, slow roller. Third base side, charging, barehanded the ball, and overrunning the ball is Daniel Robertson. He can't find the handle. That is going to be an infield base hit for Danny Valencia. Holy smokes, he is nine for his last nine. You know, just feeling more and more comfortable. My swing feels a lot better, obviously. Nobody wants to get off to a rough start, but I'm, uh, I'm happy to have it behind me. And, uh, you know, May was a great month, but hopefully uh, June's better and we continue to win ballgames. The 2-1 to Seager. Swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Kepler going back to the one track, to the wall. Goodbye baseball. Into the bleachers. And right field, Kyle Seager with a three-run home run. And the Mariners blow this game wide open. His sixth home run of the season. He kicks, fires home. Swing. This is clobbered. Crushed. Left field. Upper deck. Here we come. Gone. Back-to-back jacks in serious fashion. And the Mariners have taken a 2-1 lead. Do you believe in magic? 2-1 pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Deep to center field. Buxton going back. Looking up. Goodbye baseball. nice to see a young player and I know he's been around here a while in my mind he's still a young player and he's just starting to come into his own and you know he's in a really good spot right now and good for us I mean again I talked about this earlier kind of an organizational plan put together everybody buying in but ultimately it's on the player it's his career and and uh, he has bought in and he understands and he's been able to make adjustments the pitch swing and a line drive high towards left center field Dyson galloping over, can't make the catch. He swats it down to the grass with his glove. Pilar is to second, making the turn to third. Here comes the throw. Here comes Pilar. Headlock slide. The throw. He's out. Pilar is cut down at home. That ends the inning. 2-2 to Seager. 
Swing and a line drive, base hit left field. Heredia running third, being waved in by Manny Acta. He'll score. Up with the ball is Carrera. The throw into second. Around to third goes Powell. He's in there at third. Heredia scores on a two-out RBI single by Kyle Seeger. And the Mariners lead the Blue Jays 4-2. to The 0-2 pitch, swing and a miss and a fastball at 101. Strike three, and the ball game is over. The Mariners win it 4-2 to over the Toronto Blue Jays. Edwin Diaz, his nickname is Sugar, and how sweet it is. Diaz with save number 10 on the season. How sweet it is.